Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we like to go back to the past and read some comics from DC's yesteryear of publishing. Uh, you can hear us every week on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast, which is what you're listening to right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're doing a, a comic that was recommended by a listener uh, named Frenny. She wanted us to do, I bet she wanted us to do uh, New Krypton. But of course, in my typical way, I didn't feel like doing that one, and I decided to go back to the origin and do World of Krypton number one, written by Paul Kupperberg, art by Howard Chaikin and Murphy Anderson. Adrian Roy did the colors. Cover price is 40 cents. Cover date, July 1979. Have you ever wanted to know more about Superman's home planet of Krypton, specifically the bureaucratic dealings of various municipal agencies and science programs? Well, are you ever in luck? Because Soup's found his alien fire father's diary, and now we all get to snoop. What was Papa Jorel's favorite flavor of ice cream? What was his favorite kind of music? We're going to find out none of this and more when we read the Jorel story. But before we get into that, well, let's give you a brief history of uh, the planet of Krypton. That's right. Or at least in the publication here. <laughs> it was uh, shown, but not named, in Action Comics number one, back, way back in April 1938. Um, in his origin, it was described as a distant planet, destroyed destroyed by old age. So it doesn't say how it was destroyed or if it was destroyed, or, you know, if it was, uh, you know, blown up. Yeah, just um, apart like all old things. Yeah, just uh, decayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was embellished upon in the uh, Superman Daily newspaper strip that uh, that debuted uh, not too far after the comic, actually, January 1939. Yeah, right away. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Uh, and that shows that the inhabitants of the planet were having, uh, they had super speed, super strength, so pretty much implying that the entire planet were super, you know, super powered yeah. people. Which makes a lot um, more sense, frankly, than uh, this yellow sun business, but that's my opinion. <laughs> Well, I, I like them. I like that they sometimes play up the uh, hyper gravity. That's right, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's why I can fly. Yes, and and lift things. <laughs> uh, the uh, planet was finally named in in Superman number one in uh, June 1939, and uh, we have here the quote in, uh, from his origin: "The Doom Planet Krypton exploded to fragments." Yep, right in the first panel. Yep, and then we first actually see uh, Krypton in Superman number 52 from May-June 1948, which is uh, titled uh, The Origin of Superman. Yeah, so there's a long gap right there between the uh, first time we hear about it and the first time we see it. That's yeah, just about a decade. Yeah, I'm not sure when this, uh, you know, uh, Jor-El, uh, Lana-El business really came in, but, uh, you know, maybe it was in the interim, but, you know, it all got embellished much later on during the Silver yeah. Age and there was so much media back then, like uh, the radio show, the serials, and it seemed like they were pulling from everywhere to put this origin together. Absolutely, yeah. You know, th- this was this was a time now where you know people are much more uh, uh, cautious, I guess, or you know they mm. they really husband their personal version of of these characters. But back then, it didn't matter. It all came from no. every whatever whatever people liked that worked for them. Yeah, whatever worked worked. <laughs> So uh, to start out, World of Krypton number one uh, has a nice cover with an awesome uh, logo for World of Krypton that's 3D reminiscent of Superman's logo. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a just a nice attractive cover. You go inside, and you get Superman sitting in the uh, <laughs> on the bridge of a spaceship or something. It's really I don't know where the hell he is. <laughs> uh, 
So he found some of his dad's uh, Kryptonian eight tracks on the moon somehow. <laughs> there's there's a, uh, a kind of a hokey explanation about how there's a I don't know a warp in between both planets, and that's why there's so much Kryptonian artifacts mm-hmm. on Earth. But whatever it is, he gets them. He pops them in the uh, dashboard. And starts grooving to the tunes of his daddy's diary. Uh, right away, we uh, Jorel is telling us all about the wonders of Krypton. Actually, what he's really doing is he's uh, sort of narrating from the point of view of his grandfather. You know, I mean, the whole diary thing kind of falls apart instantly, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, it just turns into exposition. Well, yeah, we're just we're just seeing things that are not being uh, said in, the, in there. So, uh, but he describes the crystal peaks, which are formed by the deaths of giant crystal birds plummeting to the ground. I mean, that's disgusting. That's yeah, clean, <laughs> clean it up, guys. What the hell's wrong with you? Uh, and Antarctic City, uh, a city in a giant snowy mountain, which is obviously named for the intergalactic fame of planet Earth's Antarctica. I can't imagine why they would name it that otherwise. <laughs> and of course, Kandor, capital city of Krypton and the seat of its worldwide government for five millennia. Uh, you know, I figure there's a worldwide government because Paul Kupperberg just came up with the Crystal Peaks and the Antarctic City. What do you want him to name a bunch of countries too? And, you know, give the guy a break. You know what I mean? One city. One tourist attraction, that that's a couple of tourist attractions, that's good enough, you know what I mean? I think he, he fleshed out the place as much as he was going to. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean he, it's it, you know, it's not like he had you know fifty. They, they, it's not like they had like fifty years to come up with this. No, no, you know. <laughs> as a matter, but you know what? You know it's funny, and uh, I didn't look this up, but I believe the Crystal Peaks and probably Antarctic City, you can see those on old like Silver Age maps of Krypton. I believe it. So I think I bet he really did go back and decide he was going to, you know, give these things some credence. But it's like, what, you know, you're just breaking your balls the wrong, wrong way around because <laughs> I'm sure that uh, Mort Weisinger didn't think too deeply on it when he came up no. with the idea. <laughs> no, and I think this is before they had the uh, DC Universe role-playing game where they came with those those weird maps that had all these places you never heard of. That's on. right. Yeah, yeah. Like a full-on atlas, you know, what I mean? yep. of the DCU. <laughs> Yeah, much to the uh, much to the writer's chagrin, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we uh, pop in on Jorel's childhood. We find out that he had a twin brother named Nim L. Mm. Their uh, grandfather instructs them to be civil servants and politicians. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Uh, kind of kind of takes on the the. Uh, becomes like the Kryptonian Joe Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, this is interesting because his clothing is very reminiscent of uh, of the Legion. Yeah, it doesn't it kind of I, I, it doesn't look, look like Sunboy, but it's also like uh, what's his name Mon L in a way. It's sort of like a combo of a couple of outfits. Yeah, it's it's very because it's it, it looks very much like a Legion thing. He's got the he's got a headband and a collar, which is a little odd, but everything else is you can just see that it's uh it plays into the whole Superman uh, gave them uh, inspiration. Yeah. Somehow, so uh, yeah, so Granddad is uh, being a ballbuster, and uh, now it's time for Jorel to go to school, where he is just the smartest boy in school. Uh, all the teachers marvel at his ability and how quickly he takes to things, but of course that doesn't make him very liked by the other uh, Kryptonian children. In uh, all of his studies, he's only able to make one friend, really, a gentleman named Kim Da, who's also lonely, and I assume he's probably friendless because he has a girl's name. <laughs> uh, Jorel also has a cousin who has a, a name that seems oddly prescient, don't you think? His name is Cruel. 
<laughs> a name that, as you point out, that would make Sinestro blush. You know, yes. it's a little too obvious. You know, it's like Doctor Evil or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like hey, you're kind of wearing that one on your sleeve. Yeah, here, I have a feeling you're gonna turn out to bite him in the ass later on, crew. <laughs> I, some, something about your name just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, he delights in pranking his cousin Jor-El. In fact, oh, a delightful prank. He calls him outside to play. And there's an air mat or something, and like something. blows them up in the air. Like you know, this is the most brilliant prank ever. And you know what's actually funniest about it is there's no one else around. This is all for Cruel's sociopathic delight. You know what I mean? This is, he's he's just doing this. This is, he doesn't care what kind of audience he has. He's not trying to make Jorel look stupid. Uh, he just wants to harm him and and you know humiliate him between the two of them. This is uh, all to tell his diary that, that night. Exactly. That cousin crew is just a big meanie, you know. <laughs> uh, and bit, no big surprise, Jor-El, he's great with the numbers, but he's not too smooth with the ladies, even though he can learn complicated mathematical problems just by glancing at them. Uh, as in my experience, ladies don't give a shit about that. Personally, I don't know. Maybe some ladies do. <laughs> uh, but no, I've, I've never had a lady, like, you know, really be wowed by my ability to glance at complicated mathematical problems, although, frankly, I'm not really that good at math, so maybe that's, that explains more of that. I hear these days if you want to sign up for Match.com, you need to pass a math test. That's right. You have to do a little calculus. You have to <laughs> yes. make sure that you're on a certain level. It's just brief calculus. So it's, not, <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, now, uh, Krypton has the most committed space program in the universe. Uh, uh, Jorel joins the space program that's run by... Corrector, I'm sorry, Director Kendall, and overseen by someone very familiar, uh, Drew Zod. Yeah. Who is, you know, that Zod. That very Zod, who we would have seen a year before in uh, Superman, the movie. The motion picture. Yeah, yeah. the motion picture. And, I, you know, frankly, I'm not sure. If did, I guess I think he did exist in the olden days, but he just wasn't such a goatee-wearing prick at the time. Yeah, it was. A, it seemed like a very different character before the film. Yeah. Um, now, Ken Dahl tells uh, Jor-El... These names are, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> that the space program is in its infancy. Uh, and uh, Jor-El has a, he uh, sees a, a pretty young thing run past, and uh, that's Laura, Lara Laura Vaughn. You know, this is really where you start to see that uh, Jor-El isn't very well socialized. Because he, yeah. he just can't get over it. You know, he here he is his first day in the space program, and he's like, oh, I want to meet that girl. Yeah, I wanna who meet. is that? Where you is know, she? Where did she go? Director Kendall is like, here's some important safety procedures you have to notice to, keep you, to save your life. And he's like, oh, I'm trying to get with that girl. Where does she go? What does she do? It's like, that's my daughter, dude, okay? No, but yeah, that's not true, but that would have been funny. It would have been even, yes, it would have been funny. They need they need to put some uh, some saltpeter in his meal that night. Um, now, uh, Jor-El, does, he either invents or discovers this anti-gravity particle. Um, I, I, it's not made clear if it's a discovery or, or an invention. But you see but, him uh, working hard at it, whatever it yeah. is, uh, over, the cor- <laughs> over the course of a month and uh, eventually cracks the code. <laughs> and that's the uh, the month of Belioth. yeah. Throughout the whole thing, he's uh, the diary is naming the month and year, and it's totally arbitrary. In fact, in the beginning, yeah. in the beginning of the book, I think it says this. Talk about a complicated math program uh, problem. It says uh, I think 18 Earth years is 25 Kryptonian. Like yeah, why, they, they didn't make it easy. Uh, they didn't make it an easy exchange rate. Just just break it down to you know one you know a, a one, one is two exactly yeah. one to something <laughs> ratio. Like why are you breaking? I gotta do this like really complicated <laughs> algebra. 
And it's the funny. It's 18 Kryptonian years equals approximately yeah. 25 Earth years. So it's not even an even. Why, why, why are you even bothering year. with that information? I don't understand like why it's relevant. But yeah, the whole time there's different months. I just named this one because, in what you know, for for this program that's in its infancy, this guy figures out everything in one month. You right know? Away, yeah. Like like well, who'd you have working for this thing? Like you know the the local idiots or something? You know, it's like ah oh, my my brother couldn't figure it out, but he's never been too good at reading. No, no, no. Uh, now, with this anti-gravity particle, he finds that he can negate gravity, clearly, uh, to lift uh, heavy objects, and he can even fly. Um, he, we, I don't know if we skip any time here, but he is suddenly Dr. Jor-El. Yeah, I think that's all you need to do. You come up with anti-gravity, you, you pretty much get a doctorate. You know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you got to at that point. Yeah, you, you've done your work. And uh, now, uh, Miss uh, Lorvan is a... Uh, She's kind of noticing him. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're uh, this is this before they get together, or is this? Uh, this is before they get together. She's just starting to kind they're of. They're just starting uh, to sniff around. Yeah. Yeah. She thinks he's he's kind of cute. Obviously, you know, uh, her mother probably said, "You got to marry a doctor or a lawyer," and you know, here, here's one. So <laughs> here's a doctor. Newly deputized. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they do a, a test flight of this unmanned spacecraft that's made from what is it? The most pr- uh, abundant resource in Krypton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like that Twilight Zone episode where those guys store all the gold and put themselves to sleep for uh, like 500 years. That's right. That's it, it, <laughs> totally useless. That's the same thing here. It's <laughs> just a rock. It's, it's made from pure gold, but because gold of the gold. anti-gravity things, uh, you know, there's no problem with making it fly. Yeah. And uh, Lara, she stows away on board. Um, she feels she'll never get the opportunity to fly again because the space program is just so slow. Yeah, it, it, yet they've gone from nothing to flying a rocket in one month. You know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> this is slow. I mean, come on. Jorel <laughs> <laughs> uh, takes off after her in the rocket, carrying a bunch of uh, colonists to the, the very next day. And uh, like you said, it's this the, is all within the month of Belial. The next day, you know what I mean? Like. What, <laughs> What if that unmanned spacecraft? What if she wasn't on it? You know, and it, I mean, as a matter of fact, it did lose. They did lose contact with it, and they're still sending colonists out. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, what the hell? This is a really ballsy space program. <laughs> you know, we had to kill 10 million to save 50. You know, that's the sure. way. We, that's the how we work. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Uh, he does rescue uh, Larry. He find he he finds her because she's using smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing that that planet has has ozone, right? Well, well, you know, luckily she found a valley with some air in it. So yes. that, you know, that was fine then. That's okay. That makes sense. Some air was some low-lying air was hanging out in the bottom. This is very much like when we talked about uh, Supergirl. Was that last uh, two weeks ago? Yeah. And uh, you know, her neighborhood pops off of the planet with a bubble of <laughs> air around it. Like, how does that? How does that work? I don't really think that's how air works, frankly, that it could just kind of like <laughs> sit localized around your uh, breathing holes or whatever. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, Jor-El's high in the hog. Uh, he rescued his, his lady. Now she's really feeling his, him. And, uh, you know, he's a doctor. He's he's head of the space program. So he decides now he's going to tackle Krypton Krypton's overcrowded prison system. Uh, addressing the science council, he exp- explains that he's developed a suspended animation gas, uh, which can paralyze criminals and then put them in orbit around the planet for whatever their term is, you know, however many years. And uh, in there, they can ruminate on their crime. Uh, you mentioned, and that I would say this has to be a, a precursor to the Phantom Zone, and I bet that develops later on in this uh, three-issue yeah. series. But I just want to take a minute to talk about... <laughs> 
the Phantom <laughs> Zone, and I mean, these are the cruelest punishments you could ever levy against anybody. Far crueler than just than killing, killing them, them, you know? Yeah. Because okay, in this case, let's say you got a five-year sentence. You know, they put you in suspended animation. You're totally frozen, orbiting, and you know, just stuck in your own mind. This is like, yep. this is like, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the kind of thing that's been known to drive men mad. And uh, you're doing this. Now, Phantom Zone is way worse because <laughs> you're sent to another dimension where you never age and you can constantly watch the goings-on in the third in dimension. The yeah. So, as I was saying before, let's say you stole something and they put you in the Phantom Zone. Well, you're going to see that person that you that you stole from. You're going to see his whole lineage you know, grow and die. You'll you'll be looking at his great 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 grandson <laughs> take his last breath, and you're still in the fucking phantom zone. Like, god damn it! <laughs> like, just kill me. You know, just 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 shoot me where I stand. This is the worst yes. thing. So, because uh, yeah, this was this was pitched as an alternative to vaporizing the criminals I know. as, a, as yeah. a you know peaceful re- yeah. resolution. Like no, this is somehow better. I mean, this is I actually love this because this to me is uh, one of superhero comics' greatest things about heroes not killing, even mm-hmm. to the point of total ridiculousness. You know what I mean? <laughs> in, in any other situation, you know, in the, in the real world, if we could even deal with the fact that there was a Krypton and Kryptonians. We would be like, yeah, Superman, just kill him. Just kill him. Don't worry about it. We're not going to arrest you. You know what I mean? Like, it's yes. cool. But in the comics, no, no, we got to put him in the Phantom Zone. Can't kill. Can't ever kill, even if it's much crueler not to. Uh, somebody else does think it's very cruel, though, to do that, apparently. Tron Et uh, doesn't like the idea. He favors vaporizing criminals. But, of course, he probably votes against cellular farming and the birthing matrix and restrictions on owning sonic screwdrivers, too. <laughs> So he kind of represents a certain uh, contingent of the planet's politics. Yes. Um, as uh, as Lara and uh, Jorella get a little bit closer, you know that you don't get you don't just get married on Krypton. <laughs> you, you don't uh, you don't you know court and uh, you know get engaged and get married. You actually have to go get analyzed yeah. in a uh, matrimony machine called the Matracomp. Uh, it's a it's like a large booth and uh, you go in there and you and your you and your significant other, you both put your hands on this analysis sphere, and then you go home, and uh, and you know a few weeks later you get a knock at the door saying yeah yeah you're nay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I mean I mean it's 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 so weird. This is apparently created to reduce divorce rates, but yeah. I mean you know so so in this case you got two people that love each other already going to use it. Like, <laughs> how, well you know what, what what kind of news are you going to give them? You know so yeah. I guess we'll find out. Yes, because uh, a couple weeks go by and uh, Lara gets a knock on the door and she's told, "No luck, Chuck. You're not marrying him." And what's what's uh, the what's the name of that fellow, Chris, that uh, gives her the news? What's how do you pronounce that name? Anarmu. Uh huh. Oh, right. <laughs> he, he's named after Japanese cartoons. What had, did, did, did they lose a vowel? Did they did they run out of vowels for names like Anarmu? Like geez, Anarmu. What a bad name. Yes, that's A N R dash M U. Yeah. Yeah, he comes by, says, you know, can't do it. He, he kind of resembles Quicksilver from the X Men. Doesn't he uh, a little bit though? Like he does. He does. Yeah. He's got that real like like snobby kind of just douchebaggy. Sort look. of a Romany, yeah. Sort of a, like an like a very thin faced look. Uh, I don't care to explain it. Like a pointy, yeah. Yeah, very pointy face. <laughs> he's got very he's got very severe features. Yeah. But yeah, she's uh she's not to marry 
the man she loves. Yeah, that's too bad. But that's okay because now we return back to the most committed space program in the universe again. Uh, <laughs> now they're going to send up a rocket with a lifetime prisoner who volunteered to orbit Krypton and put him in suspended animation. Uh, again, why did Lara think they would never fly a rocket again? You know what I mean? Yep. Like they, they're flying rockets <laughs> for nothing. You know what I mean? They're like, ah, I think I want to, uh, you know, put something on the moon. Uh, let me just fly a rocket up there real quick. Uh, so they, they set him up there. Within minutes, the rocket crashes and the criminal escapes. But now he seems to have superpowers. He's super human. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> it turns out to be the criminal's twin brother. And now listen to this this plan. <laughs> He went up at an identical rocket. Okay, so that's two rockets fired, two like, rockets. In, almost at the same time. Again, like, <laughs> when, when aren't they firing a rocket? That's really more the question here. Uh, he went up, he vaporized his brother's rocket, then crashed to Krypton wearing an anti-gravity device to make him appear powerful. I mean, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? Who was the criminal here? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, all of that was orchestrated by Tron at under direction of the powerful private prison lobby. Mm-hmm. So they don't mess around. No. <laughs> now back uh, back on the softer side of the story, uh, Lara goes to appeal the science sphere's decision, <laughs> uh, and she's informed that she is not to marry Jor-El, but Matricomp dickhead and her Moo. <laughs> <laughs> could be a Lara Moo, huh? Yeah, Lara Moo. <laughs> uh, she runs away, but she's caught and then hypnotized by Moo into loving Moo. Hey, it works. So, now Jorel, he's 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 beaten down that criminal uh, fella there, and he runs over to Lara to brag. Yeah, basically. <laughs> he's he's got his chest puffed out. Yeah, he's then, feeling then like she, a real alpha male. Yes, and then he finds out that, that she's got a man. Oh, what's a man got to do with me? <laughs> she's got a man. I ain't trying to hear that, see? <laughs> <laughs> they, they go on and they enter into a battle with the Matricomp <laughs> computer. It's like one of the lamest battles ever because it's, it's, not, it's not like a, a military computer. It's just a fucking no, computer. No, it's a sphere. <laughs> it's just a sphere yeah. in, a, in a booth. <laughs> uh, and we find out that... <gasps> Anurmu was an android the whole time. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and then Lara and Jorel get married. I mean, even funnier, we find out that the Matricomp computer loved her. Was in love with her. <laughs> yeah. You know, after years <laughs> of setting up Kryptonian, started to understand love and loved Lara. And it's like, give me a damn break. But anyway, that didn't work out. They get married. And, and uh, Clark is there. Uh, Clark is there. there. I, what's weird about that is when I first saw it, I looked at it like being, you know, allegorical. He's listening to the story, and he feels like he's there. Yeah, but it he's actually, actually there. It actually ends on a cliffhanger. How is he really there to watch this <laughs> Paris thing? It just shows the unbridled creativity of Paul Kupperberg. Maybe uh, he's a bastard. Maybe he's a bastard child. Yeah, possibly, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, with, with the DC Universe, you know, he could have hopped on the actual cosmic treadmill. We don't know he what the hell happened. And uh, <laughs> we didn't find out because we did not feel moved to read the second or third issue, uh, despite having all of them, maybe someday, but this was a pretty dull comic, really nice to look at, really uh, ornate, you know, very, very embellished, Yeah. but uh, not really very exciting, but I did enjoy a lot of this stupid, silly, uh, Silver Age-ish... Oh, for the sake of it, yeah. Yeah, trappings of it, you know, uh, and, I, you know, I am sort of curious to know what happens with uh, Nim-L and Crew-L going forward, so... Uh, we hope you appreciated that, Freddie. But uh, as our usual way, we're going to 
tell you about the other times we returned to Krypton. Uh, I think we have four of them here, right? And I, I believe this pretty much are the main, the hit parade. Yeah, um, Krypton's like a, like our seasonal residence here. It's, uh, it, we go a lot. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you, whenever things get too boring or maybe the Earth gets too messed up by successive alien invasions, <laughs> well, then you want to go over to Krypton and, sure. uh, you know, take a break. So uh, the time that I know the best, and Chris, I think also, it's The World yeah. of Krypton by John Byrne with Mike Mignola on art. This was a four-issue mini in December 1987 to March 1988. Really sort of, I saw it as an outgrowth of his Man of Steel run. Yeah, this uh, was this was John, uh, this was Byrne putting his fingerprint on just about everything Superman he ev- could at the time. Every aspect of it. Uh, yeah. And in fact, this was only part of a, a John Byrne trilogy, which included the yeah. world of Smallville and the world of Metropolis. And this um, might have been when he was writing all three ongoing Superman books, too. Uh, Action Comics, Adventures of Superman, and Superman. Well, let me see. 87? Uh, I bet it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it so didn't, didn't Man of Steel debut right then, 87? Or maybe it was late 86. I so. think it was late 86, but he, he took over. They renumbered uh, Superman as number one. Right. They changed Superman to Adventures of Superman. And he and after Marv Wolfman left, he wrote that. And then Action Comics, he was writing as a Superman team-up book. Right, right. So you have all three of those and these. And 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 drawing these, you know, Man of Steel and World of Krypton. Yep. He was a workhorse, that John Byrne. You, you Absolutely. Know, we may find cause to talk about him again in the near future. Perhaps. Uh, so this was a new post-crisis take on Krypton. Um, introduced the body condom Kryptonian bodysuit. That's the black <laughs> one with sort of like... I don't even know, like ruffles are down the side? Is that what you call those ruffles? <laughs> yes, on the reservoir tip. Something, exactly, yeah, something to <laughs> to hold it back. Uh, also introduced the Kryptonian war suit, which would be seen after Superman Returns from the Dead, which is, yep. I remember that. Um, a little bit about the world of Smallville, tells stories of Clark's youth, and even ties into the quickly forgotten uh, Lana Lang was a Manhunter story from Millennium. A lot of this, though, I mean... You know, part of Burns' run specifically was that there was no Superboy. No. So, so this is truly, in a lot of ways, the story of a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just a just a flat-out powerless kid, and you know, wacky, wacky things do ensue, but it was not really uh, didn't grab you. World of Metropolis. I remember this one being the best one. I think um, so. Focused on Clark and Superman's relationship with the folks of the Daily Planet. So uh, that that was that. Yes. <laughs> And uh, we would go back to Krypton uh, about 15 years later. Yeah. There was a four-issue event that started. It was February uh, t- uh, 2001. This is when Superman had four ongoing titles. And actually, this is uh, around the time I came back to, to the Superman books. Oh, yeah? And Yeah, and it was uh, you had Superman 167 by uh, Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness. Adventures of Superman 589 by Joe Casey and Duncan Rouleau. And that was uh, the Man one that looked like the Dini cartoon, right? The Adventures of Superman, or am I wrong about that? Uh, the, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Because anyway. the one, the one, the only one that the art really caught me on was the Ed McInnes one. Yeah, that was that the was most just, striking one. Yeah. Yeah, he had like a giant Superman, and it was it was it was very nice to look at. Uh, Man of Steel 111 uh, by Mark Schultz and Doug Mackey. Or Mank, um, <laughs> you know, it's like you have. I, I must have typed that name into my comic collection database a million times, but it's like you never say it out loud. You never say, yeah, <laughs> you don't know. You never get the chance to. I, I would have said Manky, but I'm sure he would correct us. It's <laughs> when I when I met uh, Kurt Busiek a, a couple months ago, I was like, I'm like, oh god, if I say his name wrong to him, yeah, really, <laughs> it's like what the hell? Hey, Kurt um, Busiek, Boos B- <laughs> 
Um, I can also say that it concluded in Action Comics number 776 by Joe Kelly and Kano. And this uh, shakes up the origin of Krypton, and it uh, it kind of negates a little bit of what came before because uh, it, I think these are the uh, the writers were the readers from the 70s who had a, had more of an affection for the pre-crisis for sure. take yeah. on Krypton. So a lot of those pre-crisis elements were brought back, including... Right. Which which I was glad to see, even as yeah. silly as it is. But you know, uh, you know, this also kind of was a time right around this time, DC had that 12 issue uh, Silver Age series. Remember that? Yep. Um, there was just a big embracing of the Silver Age at the time. That may have been a little misguided as far as sales goes, but uh, I leave that to the bean counters. Yeah. Uh, one year later, because you know DC never saw an event that they didn't want to just run right into the ground <laughs> right away. They did return to Krypton 2, another four-issue event, right around June 2002. Uh, this also had four issues, Superman 184 by Jeff Johns and Pasquale Ferry, Adventures of Superman 606 by Joe Casey and Duncan Rouleau, uh, Man of Steel 128 by Joe Kelly and Carl Kirchhoff, who I didn't know actually drew any Superman. I, I would be yeah. interested to look at that. And uh, Action Comics number 793 by Joe Kelly and Pasquale Ferry. Uh, this was sort of a mixture of Silver Age and more contemporary Kryptons, and uh, th- it featured a civil war between religion and science, that age-old mm-hmm. battle. I wonder who won out by Rao. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> and because I, I did, wasn't John's part of uh, like uh, wasn't he an assistant to Richard Donna? Oh yeah. On the so I, I think a lot of maybe a lot of the uh, movie elements were started to started uh, to pop in here. I bet they did. And and they actually did a uh, a uh, graphic novel later mm-hmm. on that I think I think dealt more about Krypton and kind of restored more of its crystalline yeah. uh, appearance that you know I mean it, as as we were thinking about it before, I I don't believe Krypton proper is shown in the first movie or the second one, but you see a little bit of it. You know, you see like the interior of a I don't know, I guess a, I mean you know what's funny is what you see is basically Kal-El being put in the rocket, but it always yeah. seems to be happening in their house. Like, would, <laughs> would, did, did, wouldn't you think that would happen on a rocket launching pad? But no, you know, whatever. Just put him in the microwave and ship it out. He's fine. You know? <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, that's how always... it happened in Man of Steel number one, too. It was like they were in like a penthouse apartment. Yeah, it, like they, they launched him right off, right off of their balcony. You know what I mean? Look at that. <laughs> that doesn't seem safe to me. Like, what is no. going on? Now, at least, at least it wasn't on a uh, on a floating sentient neighborhood. <laughs> That's right. That, that that is a much more humiliating way to have to go, especially when you got to line the streets with lead. Uh, yes. This this last return to Krypton, I think, was the, is the one Frenny was talking about. Perhaps, yeah. This is the uh, new Krypton story. That this thing took forever. There were eighty parts to it. This yeah. was a. Uh, this was orchestrated by uh, Jeff Johns and James Robinson, and uh, took place in in all the Superman books. Uh, they had a few miniseries and Supergirl that showed up, and uh, this is actually a time where Superman was removed from his titles. <laughs> you know, they they pulled him out of Superman, and uh, Monel took over, and. Then they pulled him out of Action Comics, and Nightwing and Flamebird took over. Which is kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> I, I always know, had a, I had a soft spot for Nightwing and Flamebird because it's just oh, sure. such a silly thing. Yeah, it's the uh, it's like the Kandorian Batman and Robin. Exactly, and the and the namesake for Dick Grayson Nightwing was actually yep. taken from uh, this character in Kandor. 
Yeah, because they actually just mentioned that in the uh, Nightwing Rebirth. There was a footnote. Which I thought or, which I, I thought was damn cool, because then that implies yeah. that implies a lot of other things that are we don't need to delve into. But if you, yeah. if you follow <laughs> stuff that thread, you can figure it out, yeah. Yeah, stuff we didn't know whether or not it was still around. <laughs> yeah. Now, the uh, gist of this story is uh, 100,000 Kryptonians are found alive after a uh, battle with Brainiac. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Kryptonians are viewed as invaders by uh, Sam Lane and uh, some other people. And I did not make it much further in this one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read this story at all. Although I have thought about reading the uh, Nightwing and Flamebird books because uh, they, I have seen them in trade somewhere, but uh, never got around to it. I'm assuming this is this is the one that uh, we, people are thinking of. It's the most recent one, but it's also the most dense one and uh who knows painstaking yeah uh and, and of course in the new 52 there was no reason to go back to krypton because no. all of the kryptons apparently landed on earth i mean it was like every <laughs> every other day oh here's another like what's another one what happened to the last surviving man of krypton nope sorry every, <laughs> it seemed like everyone you know a good half the planet made it out alive and they all came to earth to fight superman mm-hmm. so uh that'll do it for world of krypton number one from 1979 uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And uh, I say every week, and I'll say it this time, you got to go check out Chris's blog, which is Chris is on InfiniteEarth.blogspot.com, where he reviews a DC comic every single day. Very entertaining, very enjoyable. We also are regular contributors to Weird Science DC uh, Comics.com. Is that what the hell it's called now? I don't even know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, keep those suggestions coming. We are going to keep covering comics as long as there are DC comics to cover. So until next week, give anything else for them, Chris? See you next time. All right, then keep it uh, on the treadmill cosmically. Should have watched your back like a soldier. Come to hit your hoes hard, focus for your shoulders. Bitch, you ain't no Superman, but I hate to say I told you. My gains to migraines relate to rhyme flowers. But let me go like